welcome to the Azarin podcast. Hello. Hello. We're back after a brief hiatus. Yeah. We are. Um, too many video games to play. There was so many video games. Too much going on, but we're back. Hey, so uh, let's introduce ourselves. Yeah, um, you might remember me, I'm Liam. I'm Dave. And I'm Brian. We were gone a bit over Christmas, um, because lots of stuff was going on. But we're back, and we have a... We've got a new theme tune. You'll have just heard it there. We do, yeah. That's uh, thanks to JK Lol or Joke Lol on uh, SoundCloud. We'll post a link to his stuff in the in the blog posts. Hmm. But yeah, it's it's awesome. It's really cool. Catchy. It's very Famicom. It adds a level of professionalism to the podcast. I feel. Yeah, that's the only professional thing about it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> cool. So, um, last time we ended on the poorly remembered game quote, which was. You remember it, Liam? There's so much. They've broken the Beckenstein limit. And what was it from? That was from Destiny. And uh, who says it? Um, Dinklebot, originally. That's right. Now It's Nolan Bot. So we'll play that clip for you. There's so much. They've broken the Beckenstein limit. And uh, what is the Beckenstein limit? So basically, excuse my very poor paraphrasing of something I read online because it's a I think it's like a either a physics term or like a computing term or something so, so it's a real thing yeah it's a real thing and this is why this line is stupid so my understanding of it is the Bekenstein limit if you think about data and information so it's the the limit to the amount of data that you can have in any given space okay so if you think about like a hard drive 50 years ago and how much that could hold that hasn't hit the Bekenstein limit because you can shrink it down into what is like an SD card now okay size of your fingernail so if you think about it, the that same amount of data so like five gigabytes and the space that that can take up physically the point where you can no longer make the space that, that amount of data holds so if you think about like binary digits yeah. like zero and ones so you can think about it as like maybe an atom has two states or something okay so zero for so, one state and one for another state so using molecules to record yeah data so it would be the Bekenstein yeah. limit because you can't get smaller than that physically. yeah exactly right. so it's the it's the smallest amount of space that can hold the highest amount of data so once you've hit that limit you can't go any further because there's no more room for it. So it's stupid because he says there's so much of this data. He's accessing an alien computer. Sure. Um, and he's looking at the information that they have. And he says there's so much data, basically, they've broken the Bekenstein limit, hmm. which, I, as far as I know, is a it's impossible. physical impossibility. Right. Well, uh, the, the reason that's been in there, for what I can tell, so they, they've written this line and they're like, how can we make the... Is it the, the that's not the Geth, that's the Mass Effect. What is it? The Vex? <laughs> the, no, it's... Um, this is a hive ship. The hive ship, yeah. Uh, so the, the hive are like a, a bunch of robots. No, no. The the Vex are a bunch of robots. Oh, the, the, hive, the hive are the... the they're like... The yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know that. Yeah. Sorry, the hive are like... Um, as described, they're like a, a hive mind alien race that kind of infest other planets and yeah. stuff like that. Um, the hive aren't a hive mind. Are they not? No, not the Vex are a hive mind. We're getting into like Destiny lore. There's is a lot best of enemy factions, right? But I think we're, um, well, what I was meaning to say was like they've obviously went to write something so that people were like, "What's the Beckenstein limit?" and look it up, and then people go, "Oh man, they've broken a physical impossibility." That makes them really scary, and everybody's looked it up and just went, "That's really stupid." Yeah, that's what has happened. I mean, like it does make more sense for it if it was the Vex because they're the ones that they uh, are not. Um, held by time, like they can mm. travel through time. Um, they're a hive mind, and there's millions of them. Um, but I don't even like the the hive aren't ever particularly shown to be super intelligent beings. They're more no. um, uh, primal. They're not like 
So they have like spaceships and they can travel over time, but they've got a more sort of raw uh, eldritch power. Okay. So they use sort of like dark magic to mm-hmm. do things, and all their ships are very organic and sort of uh, H.R. Geiger type stuff. Right, right. So for them to have broken the Beckenstein limit within this doesn't world doesn't even sense. make sense. Yeah. No. It's just stupid. That's and why I originally thought it was the Vex. Yeah, it? it makes so much more sense. Yeah. Thematically, and it's a dumb line, and that's why it's memorable. Um, so yeah. Uh, so should we jump onto the news? Sure. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I mean, a lot's happened since we last recorded, but um, I mean, m- more recently, uh, it was announced that Namco's founder, Masaya Nakamura, passed away mm-hmm. at age ninety-one. It's a good age. It is a good age for um, for somebody who's like such a. That's quite a big thing. Like I'd never mm-hmm. really heard of him, but really, Namco are ancient. In terms of games, I think, right? Like They're, they're older quite, than us. Yeah, 70s, 80s, something yeah. like that. So, um, so yeah, this, this guy was the, the founder of Namco. And, uh, you know, he was a very accomplished person, I would say. Uh, he's often referred to as the father of Pac-Man by the company. Mm-hmm. The uh, Pour one out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just open this bottle. Don't you? Don't put I mean, Not on my floor. <laughs> and a, on a, sort of a larger scale, when, when, when was Pac-Man released? Was it like 1983, 4? Oh, earlier maybe actually. I'm not sure. I do have an article in front of me, but um, I think the I think it's probably attributed to like the resurgence of games in America after the the crash that Atari caused. Right. Uh, it was uh, 1980. It was released. All oh, right. So that would have been actually after the the crash or before the crash. Sorry. The crash, crash was, was 1983. Was it? Three. Yeah, that's right. Uh, oh, that's right because there was a version of Pac-Man for the Atari 2600, which is like I commonly acknowledge as one of the worst ports ever made. There's one ghost on screen. And Monos. it can't. I think it can't kill you. Um, it's like terrible. Um, but yeah, like um, Pac-Man is one of the easily one of the most recognisable video game characters of all time. So, um, so I mean, Namco launched uh, Galaxian, uh, which was the first video game to use multicolor sprites in 1979, mm-hmm. a year before Pac-Man, uh, and they were one of the, the the first companies that crossed over into licensing toys, breakfast cereal, Sunday morning cartoons. Yeah. So this, this is really the start of like video game culture. Um, like breaking beyond like what you would go down to the arcade and play, and what was a very niche thing at the mm-hmm. time. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a shame to it, see him go. It is interesting though, like they they were very much a part of that early culture, but didn't really have their own like fighting game, like an arcade fighting game, until like the sort of mid nineties. Because mm. obviously, like, um, there were arcade fighting games in the early nineties. You had Street Fighter and Street Fighter Two, yeah, and they didn't have Tekken until like nineteen ninety four, I think it was. Just a, a weird sort of detail that I noticed, considering they were such a big part, and then they kind of they didn't miss the boat on it, but they they weren't there for the beginning. It's just weird. Kind of feels though like they benefited by waiting because they yeah. found a sort of not like a niche so much, but if you look at like Street Fighter, it's like a two D like um, space. Yeah. Whereas Tekken's one of the most recognizable sort of three D arena fighters. Yeah, it's like the the three D fighting game is Tekken. So yeah. Well, they they didn't introduce like the. Like the kind of the ability to move. No, that was like Tekken Four, wasn't it? Was it? Tekken Three that you three, could yeah. sidestep. Three, okay. three, I think, yeah. But Tekken Four was the first one that had like proper three D stages, yeah. where you could like um, wall bounce them and stuff like that. And they had Soul Calibur as well, of course. Soul, Soul Calibur, Calibur, which yeah. was another fantastic uh, fighting game that was nineteen ninety five. Um, it was like Soul Edge and Soul Blade, I think they were called. It was, yeah. yeah. Um, and Tekken nineteen ninety four. Tekken One was and the coin ops. Was that their first fighting game? Uh, it's one that I, I mean, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but um, I can't think of any other Namco fighting games. Yeah, it's, it's certainly the most iconic. Yeah, 
And um, it's, it was it, if they did have anything else, it wasn't on the level of Street Fighter. Sure. Before Tekken, that is. So. Yeah, but yeah, um, huge company now as well. Mm. So he's obviously laid a really good foundation. And Bandai Namco Holdings are enormous. I mean, Bandai's huge. They have so much stuff. It's not even just games they've got. There's so much stuff going on. I mean, obviously, Bandai Namco is like a subsidiary of them, so it's not really the same company. But even still, it's like a they've become enormous. They have a lot of licenses attributed to them. So. Yeah. Well, sorry for starting on depressing news, but let's uh, move on to something else. Yeah. Something uh, which PlayStation Four owners will be pleased to hear. Yeah. So, um, next, well, two days ago it was now, um, Sony put up their newest beta for their firmware, which is version 4.50, I think it is now, which um, is probably going to be end up being one of the most important firmware updates they've had in some time. Like, obviously, the, the last like, big one they did was uh, introducing the quick menu, and um, which consolidated a lot of stuff into that was spread out across the system into one place you could get to quite easily, which was a big boon yeah. to the system. Um, that was a great wee addition, actually. Um, but this one is adding external hard drive support, yes. um, which is which is a really big one, actually. Um, I think it's up to 8 terabyte um, hard drives you can add to it. Really? Yeah, up to 8 terabyte, wow. which is pretty significant. Um, custom wallpapers, finally, yeah. which is a... A big one, respect concerned. I think the Xbox One's had that since launch, maybe. My PC's had it since like 1991. PCs don't play real games. No. Um, and the big one that, like, Sony didn't make a big deal about this in their official blog post, um, and I'm not really entirely sure why. Um, but for PS4 Pro users, there is a boost mode, which, um, as, as far as I can tell, what it does is unlocks more access to G- um, GPU and CPU for older titles. In fact, all titles in general. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that the PS4 P- Pro currently works with old games is that effectively like, it'll shut off sections of the PS4 Pro's hardware so that it effectively just works like a normal PS4 when running those games. What, they, what Boost Mode does is it allows those games full access to the PS4 Pro hardware. So um, it will... <clears throat> Technically, well, I mean, theoretically, it will allow for like um, frame rate stutters, um, anything like that, to be erased. Um, it won't like introduce new features. That's what PS4 Pro patches are for, but it just will make things run smoother, and that's what it mostly does. And um, a lot of thing, a lot of cases that people have tried in because it does work. Currently, it's not just like they've put the feature in and it's like this is coming. It does already work. Um, so I think for one of the most significant ones is uh, Bloodborne. Right. Um, now the frame, like it still runs at thirty FPS capped, but like um, like a lot of later areas in the game, like especially the um, the lecture theater and all that kind of thing, run very like badly because there's a lot of enemies on screen. There's a lot of detail. It's quite dark. Um, that just has been improved quite significantly. So, will that do anything to speed up loading times as well? It does speed up loading times in some games. Um, Destiny and Street Fighter Five are some two of them. Matter like seconds though it's not going to be I don't think it's that yeah. noticeable like um, Johnny was posting some times in uh, a Facebook chat we got so it's something like uh, 1 minute 10 down to 56 seconds like that's 10 seconds but 
you know, I mean, well, fifty six seconds is still a lot. Like, so like, yeah. If if that was, for example, every time you die in Bloodborne, though, cutting fifteen seconds off each each death, if you're dying a lot, that makes the game more playable for a yeah. lot of people. It's it's not quite that high of Bloodborne. It's like a couple of seconds for Bloodborne. Sure. Okay. Yeah, but if you're dying that much in Bloodborne, like, then you really should just get better. Stop playing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a very tough game. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I can appreciate that. Maybe the the loading times between death sequences. Might mm-hmm. put some people off there. The uh, hard drive support is quite interesting, mm. and I'm looking forward to that particularly because I only have the 500 gigabyte version of the console. Same. Yeah, and yeah. I'm I'm full up now, and I have to delete games to play games. Yeah, my only concern is like, what are the, you know, if um, the sort of access times for that hard drive. Well, from from what I read about the external hard drive support, is that the the hard drive on the PlayStation yeah. has limited uh, read, read write speeds anyway. Okay, yeah. so it's just going to be. So it, it should, if you get a fast hard drive, a fast external, you should be able to use it the same at the same speed you would yeah. the yeah. the internal hard drive. Okay, so that would be incredible because I'm in the same position as you. Every yeah. time I get a new game, I have to delete an old one to yeah. play it. And stuff like I, w- I went back, I went to play Doom, yeah. um, and. I popped it in, thinking, "Oh, I'll just pop in Doom and play it for a bit." Yeah. Put it in, fourteen gigabyte update. Um, I had to so first I had to install the game, install all the patches that had previously been in, and then do the fourteen gigabyte yeah. update. Yeah. And I was like, "I guess I'm not playing it today. I'll play it tomorrow." It's and a total that's pain. Exactly what I had to do. Okay. It, it makes you more reluctant to actually play games you want to play. Yeah. Like there, if if I ever wanted to go back and say, "Oh, I want to like." play a couple of games of Destiny, which I probably won't, but let's say it did. Um, Destiny is what, like, it must be like 100 gig now. De- like, Destiny is ridiculous. I think my install at the moment is about 70 gigabytes. Jesus I mean, that would take, like, a, a full day. The difficulty there is, it's not even a case of, like, it doesn't even matter that you have the disc. The disc doesn't have Destiny on it as no. it is now, because yeah. Rise of Iron didn't get a disc-based release. Taken King has been updated so much that the Taken King disc is... You'd have to install it on anyway, so the only real way to make sure you don't have to download that huge patch all the time is to keep it installed on yeah. the console. Yeah. Like, do any of you guys use the PlayStation Mobile app? No. Back and forward, yeah. So, I mean, do you know if there's any uh, remote support? I mean, could you manage your hard drive space using your app? You can't manage your hard drive space. You can turn the console on and off right. uh, remotely, but you can't like actually remotely manage your console. I think directly. if you That's... buy a game, you can install it. Yeah, you can do that. You can do that. You can't then go back and say, I don't want this game on right. my hard yeah. drive anymore. You can't. And then I want to install this other game I've got. I mean, if we're talking like a day at a time to yeah. update a title, it's, it might be something that's quite useful. Um, like, so say you have a digital copy only or a yeah. digital purchase of Destiny and you're like, right, I want to uninstall this and put Destiny on. And then by the time you come home from, from work, say, it's like it's ready to play or mostly yeah. ready to play. Like, it's good that them. You can just buy stuff right off the PlayStation Store and be like, I want this installed by the time I get home. Yeah. You can do that, that's easy enough. But you have to, for one thing, you need to have the console in standby all the time. Yeah. Which generally, like, muscle memory dictates for me at least, I just switch it right off. Yes. I don't put it on standby unless I know I'm going to be buying something to download it. So it kind of kind of defeats the purpose a wee bit, maybe. Um, you but, can, like, now, um, remote into your PlayStation on your PC and play games. Yeah, that's right. I wonder if you can then do that and manage your space through that. Or if I know that with remote play on the PlayStation 3, there were certain things you were locked out of. Yeah. yeah. So you, I'm, I'm sure as well part of it comes yeah. down to security. Because if anyone yeah. else gets access to then like to your app or whatever, then they'd be able to delete stuff. Yeah. And you, if, in the case of like PT, I know there's workarounds for it. Yeah. But if, if somebody 
grabbed your device and then deleted PT, you'd kind of be scuppered. Yeah, but I guess the thing is with that, that they don't really want you to have that anyway, do they? Well. Uh, I don't know if it's so much a, I mean, it's a, it would be a security flaw, kind of, but it's the kind of thing where, like, I could see them locking you out of your wallet yeah. and the store. Yeah. But not necessarily, I, like, locking you out of deleting games. Yeah, yeah. But I could see also, yeah, they they might. The situations in which it makes sense to that you'd want to manage your hard drive or delete yeah. games or something. Um, you can't, in Destiny, you can't edit your inventory remotely to stop people hacking in and deleting all your items. Yeah. You can, you can only do it when you're logged into the game on the game. You can move them about, you can't delete them. Because regarding that, actually, did they ever remove the, the inventory the restriction that was tied to the old versions of the game? They did, yeah. Oh, that's so good then. That's there, and also... Uh, or maybe they didn't. They gave us extra space on the um, newer consoles. Right. But that was before they stopped supporting the old games. Right. Now that they've Rise of Iron came out, they stopped supporting the old consoles. Right, right. And they promised us extra vault space or something or a solution. And I don't believe they actually ever brought that out after Rise <laughs> of Iron. So um, that's still remains to be seen. But uh, I've hung up my destiny. Cat. You're, yeah. you're very thoroughly invested in Overwatch now. Overwatch, and um, I'm nursing a nice Grand Blue addiction cool. at the moment. So we'll talk about that one yeah. a little bit later on. Um, so one other thing I want to, to bring up that was in the news, and, and you guys probably know more about it than I do, is the Final Fantasy event that was uh, last week? Uh, it was last Wednesday morning, it was. Or last Tuesday morning, I think so it was. That was. Do you know the date for that? 31st of January, which is cool. Final Fantasy VII's 20th anniversary. It is. To the date. Omedito gozaimasu. Aye. Um, yeah, it was... Uh, they announced it in December, and people were like, oh my god, this could be something huge. It's on, 20, it's on the Final Fantasy VII's 20th anniversary. It's yeah. going to be massive. And then they didn't really say anything about it for a long, long time. And it then became pretty clear that it's... It was ba- Do you know how Square's thing is, please be excited? Yeah. It was that as a conference, basically. It's please look forward to. Yeah, please look forward or to. Please, yeah. for the next thing. Is there, like, party line? Is everything... Yeah. Every- it's- it, uh, yeah, Yosh P, uh, the director of Final Fantasy XIV in particular, became really famous for like yeah. please, please look forward to yeah. it in, in every one of his updates. They, they started like actually making fun of that way. Final Fantasy XIV, didn't they? Yes. Had it at one of the um, the fan festivals. Yeah. Um, but this thing was like it was they had it at Rapongi, um, the Toho Cinema in Rapongi Hills, uh, which I don't think we went to when we were in Japan. It looks very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was. Basically, just them saying it's Final Fantasy's uh, 30th anniversary. Um, here's 10 things we're going to announce. 10 new things. And I was like, oh, 10 new things. And it was cup noodles and bottles of wine. Um, basically. Oh, and FF15 DLC. And, like, I'm now at the point where I really could not care less about that game. Sure. Um, I've, we've, we've went over it time and again, but, like, whatever. Like, yeah. the DLC, I don't really care about it. There, there was quite a lot of. Um quite a lot of talk of things they're going to be bringing to Final Fantasy 15 but I I've, and I don't want to drag this out either but like I'm the same as you guys I, I got to chapter 8 and I just I don't want to spend any more time playing no. it because there are no. so many other games out just yeah. now that, that I'm going to be playing instead the, in the case of like DLC where they're like here's new story missions mm. not uh, it feels like you didn't give me anything in the first place yeah. why would I pay you for more that yeah. was that it's was like, exactly my thing like the, the, the core game didn't interest me, so I don't think any of the DLC about specific characters is going to actually hook me in anymore. If there was something about them, maybe, but there's nothing there for me anymore, unfortunately. So I'd like to talk about this bottle of wine for a second. Yeah, please. Yeah. So this bottle of wine, 
um, is it's a Final Fantasy branded wine priced at $950. Oh my god. Right? It's crystal or something. It's, it's called, called like crystals. Crystals, crystals which is not crystal. Let's, <laughs> let's be clear about that. I mean, for a name of a bottle of wine for Final Fantasy, that's a pretty good feeling. Like, yeah, what yeah. else would you call it? Like, I don't know. Potion. Chocobo brew or something. Oh, I mean, you already had like the soft drink yeah. potions, yeah. But, I guess. But um, this I ties like so. into Square concerning themselves with things that aren't the game. Yeah. So, um, not to harp on about Final Fantasy XV, but uh, it's in other things as well. They've always had their sort of marketing and their branding and they've put out things like, they've had, like you say, drinks, um, Louis Vuitton with uh, 13 and stuff. But mm. that's always been sort of after the fact. It feels yeah. like now they're making it this huge thing where they're like, we need to have films, movies, TV series. Yeah, the game's an afterthought. Yeah, it's like, why waste... I mean, the car looked amazing for Final Fantasy XV. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it, they made... You know, why are they wasting their time making one car with this company? So they have the actual car being made. That's nice, and it's exciting, and it's fun to yeah. see. But... I mean, I'd imagine that's as, as much to Audi's benefit to do that. Oh, yeah, as, as it is for Final sure. Fantasy. I mean, um, but the thing is, that's all well and good mm-hmm. if it's not detracting from what you're actually trying to do. Yeah. yeah. So it's, they made Kingsglaive. Kingsglaive was great, but it detracted from the game. I mean, it's, it's just it was better than the game. <laughs> it's yeah. merchandising, isn't it? It's, yeah. But it's, it's getting a bit to me. Far it now. feels it's, like it feels like. Square Enix are overvaluing the final, or attaching too much of value to the brand itself rather than to the games. Yeah, that happens it a bit. Though, like, yeah. So we've got this Final Fantasy wine. Like that's that's like horse armor levels of just why are you doing that? Yeah. Well, to to the average consumer, that's completely um, inaccessible. Yeah. That's yeah. that's you're talking about like people with high incomes and no sense. Yeah. If you're going to spend nine hundred and fifty dollars on a bottle of wine, well, I mean, who, who do we know who made the wine or who produced it? Not sure. Is it Asahi or something? Or else? Um, but like, it's, this is kind of indicative of what's going to have been doing for quite a while now. Like, they they tend to va- like pride themselves in having like high quality products and being able to produce this kind of thing that is worth X or Y value, which is generally very overinflated. But the, the problem is, in the past, they've proven themselves to be not capable of actually achieving that level of quality. Like, um, the original Play Arts Kai's, mm. um, and, and they're still expensive now, um, they, they always say, like, these are very high-quality products, they're very well made, painted to the high standard. They're and shit. Like, they are incredibly, like, um, what's what's the word? They're inconsistent. incredibly inconsistent in quality. Um, right. A lot of their jewellery is the same. They had um, a very, like, back when Final Fantasy Advent Ch- 7 Advent Children was launched, they had um, a, st- a line of statues called Premium Arch. Uh-huh. Um, and these were, like, they made a huge deal. These are polystone, cloth, mixed media, very, very expensive, but like they're the ultimate version of Cloud. And they had Cloud and Sephiroth coming out. Cloud did come out, and they were notorious for being, like, bad quality. Right. Like, I remember reading the Japanese blog of a Final Fantasy VII, like, collector, um, and they had to get, like, three replacements. Right. And these things are, like, close to a thousand, like, a grand. Right, yeah. Um, and then they never released Sephiroth, because Cloud was so inconsistent in quality. Uh, yeah. So, like, it goes to, like, Square Enix are, like, attaching so much of a value to Final Fantasy, but, like, you need to be able to achieve that value... Otherwise, it just seems dishonest and cheap, like yeah. you're saying. Like it just doesn't I think come it's across about that. A figurine is something that you can have, and it is at least directly related to the thing that they're producing. Yeah. So it's it's as much a piece of art as the game is itself. It's a sculpture. It's character design. It's a, a thing yeah. that you can have and see. Yeah. A bottle of wine has nothing to do with Final Fantasy. Yeah. It's just here is 
what should be... It's a luxury item. Yeah, that's the thing. Okay, yeah. yeah. A luxury item that people would want. So yeah. rich people like wine and rich people like cars. Yeah. So we're going to brand these things fan fancy. That is it's, tacky as shit. It's like, all got to be like... Yeah. This, it's got to be like money exchanging hands somewhere. Yeah, like, oh, I mean, definitely. Because like I say, um, it's beneficial for Audi. So, I mean, did they give them money to put this car in the game, to produce this car? Is the wine a, a similar thing? Yeah, or? but th- these are things like... I'm not saying it's not beneficial for Audi. And oh, of course. It's not, not beneficial for Square in some way. But... It's uh, disproportionately beneficial for Audi because Audi aren't um, selling themselves on the game. Sure. So their, their profit is not riding on the game. If the game falls away and there is no game, then Square has nothing to then sell to it's, Audi. It's no skin off Audi's nose. Yeah. Effectively, so, at the end of the day. yeah um, so. Square are there cheapening their brands. To and Audi are getting off scot-free. But yeah. Even despite that, yeah. So. Um, and like... Final Fantasy wine. The thing about that is, people who like wine aren't going to buy that wine. No. So it's going to be people who like Final Fantasy who have lots of money, like yeah. you say. Um, and but whatever the wine is, it's not. It could be good wine, but whoever makes the wine is not going to put their best. It's not a nine hundred and fifty dollar bottle of wine. Sure. It's going to be maybe a two hundred dollar bottle of wine with Final Fantasy slapped on it, and they're like, now it's a nine hundred and fifty dollar bottle of wine. Yeah. And some idiot will buy it. Or maybe be a, a fancy bottle. A good comparison like is um, for a while, Square like so back to their older um, kind of products. Well, not too old actually now, um, but they, for a while they were doing Eau de Toilette. Um, mm. They had Cloud, Sephiroth, and uh, Noctis. Um, now the problem with that is like it was quite expensive. I mean, like it was like a standard kind of pricing for like a brand name Eau de Toilette, like um, I don't know, like Louis Vuitton or um, Calvin Klein or something like that. It was like fifty quid or the equivalent of. But like the problem with that is that you're pricing it at the same value is like a, a proper premium brand yeah. but like the the problem there is it's too expensive for like your general fans because they're going to go it's silly and it's too expensive and I don't want it I would rather just have something like a figure like something that's representative of the game whereas like a, a, a fragrance I can't really associate with that it's just terms of silly and then it's not going to appeal to people that actually have investment in old toilettes or perfumes or anything like that because they're going to say this is tacky this is associated with a Final Fantasy brand like you were saying with Audi and all that kind of thing um, so it's just that's what it comes across to me with the wine it's not it's too much in the middle yeah. where it's not appeal- the crossover's not there mm. it's not appealing to anybody no. really what so. they should be doing is like for instance this art from Sonic that's a great yeah. Um, example of wanting to have something which is a bit more luxury yeah. items for your game and your brand. So let's get some artists to produce some really nice pieces and mm-hmm. sell them, uh, you know, in art galleries and stuff. That makes sense because it is both very much a luxury and, and both very much of the game and yeah. the art. Yeah. So, so just to elaborate, I mean, this is the is it 30th anniversary of Sonic? Sonic yeah. 25th. Uh, 25th, yeah. Um, and um, there, there was uh, several exhibitions around the UK and different artists produced um, pieces of art for Sonic the Hedgehog ranging from uh, like £300 to several thousand pounds. Yeah. I picked up a, a nice painting myself by... Oh, the name escapes me just now. Um, Davidson, I think, uh, is the name of the artist. And as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's a luxury item. Yeah. Like, it's not the kind of thing that I'd go out and... no buy every day but it's it's a beautiful um painting that i will you know i i, I will cherish and yeah. remember um nostalgia of playing sonic when i was a kid you gotta hang up but in the toilet. as a sonic fan <laughs> you then have something which is very much a sonic piece yeah like it's yeah. not sonic slapped on some other thing which is not related like that yeah. is entirely the whole thing is sonic yeah. and the only, like the reason why it is a luxury is because mm-hmm. it's a quality piece of 
art by um, a quality artist. I think, again, yeah. it comes down to money, because presumably, yeah. you know, if the paintings were like £500 a piece, Sega's probably not making very much, if anything, from that. It'll probably yeah. largely go to the artist. I think what, what Sega are trying to do at the moment is they're trying to re-establish themselves as a brand, because they, they've, they've, like, up, up until quite recently, like, maybe three years ago, uh, they kind of destroyed their brand a bit by like releasing a lot of mediocre titles apart from like Yakuza which was doing well yeah. uh, but they were kind of destroying Sonic they were destroying other other kind of incomes and that and people were starting to click on Sonic had like no establishment as a as a quality brand that it used to back in the mid like mid to late 90s 2000s stuff like that um, and it's only been recently that they've they've had to because we've been backed into that corner where like they have nothing left now they have to re-establish themselves so they've been obviously their social media presence with Sonic's been a lot better than it used to be um, they've got these exhibitions they've got Sonic Mania coming out which is what people have been asking for like a decade yeah. a proper 2D Sonic game yeah. um, so they're really making making good I suppose is the word I'm looking for so they can afford to whereas I think Square Enix or Final Fantasy they, they've they've done so well with fifteen, but they're they're only seeing the bottom line, which is we made like we've sold six million copies of this game, and they're not saying like but people have issues with this game. Mm. Well, I don't think that's why they're doing these other things. Like the the reason why like the Sonic art it elevates the Sonic brand because yeah. it's, it's it's you see it, it's high profile and it's quality. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas here with Final Fantasy, they're looking at the fact that. Uh, Final Fantasy is successful, but they're exploiting that. So it's yeah, not. Yeah, it's, no, it's, they've got it the other way around, where it's, it's not. They're not trying to elevate the Sonic uh, brand or the Final Fantasy. No, brand. they've become a complacent. That's what we're yeah, trying to so, say. So. Yeah, but um, sorry for the alarm there. That's the video game alarm. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking about Square Enix for too long. So um, <laughs> um, it's like Square are abusing their success. Yes, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's I mean this this stuff that they're doing, it's stuff that's gonna like be really high profile in the press. It's like, yeah. oh oh my god, this games company just released a bottle of wine for a grand yeah. and um oh my, there's a team up with Audi, the famous uh car maker. So yeah. I mean there's there's probably lots of reasons for it, but it's maybe it, oh, not, yeah, not, sure. none, I mean, it's, it's, none of it's gonna benefit the average yeah. fan. I'm not saying there's no reason for it. Yeah, oh no no. Um I'm just saying it's bad. It's like yeah. the reason I did this is this. It's like well sure but should we uh, is like... talk a little bit more about what actually came out of the event as well in terms of, of news? <laughs> um, there was the new key visual for Final Fantasy VII Remake, yeah. which looks really nice. And, um, but th- that was it in terms of Final Fantasy VII. There was it? an interview with Yoshinori Katase, okay. um, who talked a bit about what's going on with the game. He said it's um, coming along fine, basically. He basically yeah, we're chugging along, we're still polishing stuff. Um, a couple of sites misinterpreted what he was saying quite significantly. So basically what they said was like, we're still polishing up the original scenes uh, that you saw in the trailer. Um, it's coming into... Everything's kind of coming together. Um, we've got the battle director for Kingdom Hearts 2 working with Tetsuya Nomura, which is massive because Kingdom Hearts 2 is like a fucking fantastic game when it comes to battle mode. Mm. Um, so that got me really excited. And they was like, yeah, um, like it might take a while for the game to come out, but don't worry, it's we're working on it. And VG20... I think it was VG247 said basically like, this game's still not coming out for ages. It may not come out to next generation. It's like, that's not what he said at all. What he said so, was basically the reason why we didn't show anything is because we have nothing to show that isn't just more uh, trailers. Yeah, yeah. He wanted to be able to say, here is something fundamentally new to yeah. show you. So he didn't just want to show you more gameplay. There is more gameplay. He's not saying there isn't. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's still just... They don't want to distract themselves yeah. as well, taking too much time creating trailers and stuff. No, when yeah. really they yeah. could just be working. All towards... the trailers really do is saying this is 
is here yeah. coming. Uh, we know it's coming. We know what it's going to be, basically. So there's no point in releasing a trailer now until it's like a trailer that's going to be saying like. Well, what he, what he said as well was like he would rather like rather than have just another trailer, like you said, he would rather have something playable. Yeah. So that maybe they're holding up for that. Like I, I could probably see it popping up at E3, but that was all that came out of the. 30th anniversary event, which is a bit disappointing, but they said something, at least. I think, so. I think um, they also um, were using that as a, well, this is the, the 30th year, this is this is a, a platform that we're going to use to announce yeah. more things. So yeah, this was year. like a kickoff event for That's right, yeah. a year of events, yeah. mm-hmm. rather than an event itself. Yes. It's like, um, it's just saying, it's, it just marks the occasion, basically. Yeah. Rather than... Um, should we take a break there? Yeah. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk about what we've been playing. Sure, cool. yeah. Cool. Hey, welcome back. So let's talk about what we've been playing. M- mobile games. Mobile games. Mobile games. Yeah. Crystal game. I don't say mobile game because I speak English, so I say mobile games. That's what they're called. I've been playing Grand Blue Fantasy. Uh, mm. I probably shouldn't um, because it plays up to my weaknesses uh, and my vices. You're a whale. Which are loot boxes. Um, I, if you look back at my sort of gaming history recently, Destiny spent a lot on loot boxes. Dave will back me up on that one. Yep. Uh, Overwatch spent a lot on loot boxes. I can back that up. Uh, Grand Blue, been playing a couple of weeks, spent a lot on loot boxes. I can back that up as well. Um, but these are genuine, like, usually also they're genuinely good games. Like, Destiny's yeah. a great game. Overwatch is a great game. Yeah. Grand Blue Fantasy is a great game. Grand Blue Fantasy is the veneer of a great game. Yeah, I mean, it's got really nice art. It's got right. really nice music by people who are um, quite good pedigree. of. Yeah. Uh, so the artist worked, I can't remember his name, but he worked on Final Fantasy VI, um, games like that. Okay. The composer, don't even really need to mention him by name, you all know it. He composed for a lot of Square games in the past, Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy I. Nobuo. Yeah, yeah Nobuo so, Yamatsu. Yeah. Um, not on his, not top of his game anymore, I don't think, if you listen to his recent stuff. So I was yeah. listening to the soundtrack for the last story. It's fine, but it's a bit uninspired. Right. Um, Grand Blue Fantasy, the music's more of that. I mean, it's great. It's good video game music, but it's not great. It's it's just nice. You can sort of... It's to the point where you can't even really hear the... Forget it's him, because you can't really hear his sound in it. Okay. Unless yeah. you really look for it. But it's still nice music, great art, um, and pretty good gameplay In if you like RPGs, turn-based mm. stuff. Um, but it is probably the pinnacle or the peak. It's the, the next logical progression for my addiction to loot treadmills <sighs> and loot boxes. Yeah, now you so, can play on the go as well. Yeah, I can just oh go God, and I buy things and you check in every day to make sure you get your daily bonus to log in. It's just... It it's is, very routine. Yeah. Um, uses a lot of that sort of um, reward to ratio to keep you playing. Um, and I'm a sucker for it. So I've been playing that a lot. Um, I'm sounded quite down on it, but I've been having a, a wild time. It is actually very fun, but yeah. like it, like I say, it's it does feel like it's very well presented, but like under the surface, there's not much more there than do this at the right time, right. then do this at the right time, and then do this. But like mm. it's it's fun because like it's well presented, like the art's incredible, and um, the music is very good. Despite it's obviously like it doesn't feel like right in the book because it's another the, like the prog rock synth stuff. No, but, but it, it fits with the the type yeah. of game it is. Yeah, that's um, cool. And it's kind of it's free to play, and you legitimately can just play it 
without paying for it. Yeah. Uh, it's not one of those games where it stops you and says you can't play anymore. It pretends it does, so it has AP action points, I think, mm-hmm. where you spend them to do quests and you can only do uh, so many quests before your AP runs out. You have to wait for it to refill. Sure. I'm currently at, I think it's like 56 AP out of 37. So I don't know why I've gone over my like 37 limit. Right. Like I have more AP than yeah. my max AP. Um, and the main story quests are free actions and there's some other free quests that you can do without spending ap and then um there's at the moment there's a double ap rate on so that may be why i've got more but um so i've been playing anytime i want i think it refills like every hour or something you get more ap so there's never been a point where it's like okay you have to wait or pay us Mm -hmm. right i don't even know if you can pay for ap you can pay for maybe items that give you more ap but it doesn't it's not the kind of game where it's constantly being like, if you want to play more of this, you have to give us more money. It's more just sort of like how in Overwatch you can buy loot boxes that get you character skins. Yeah. Loot boxes in this are basically booster packs. They give you a chance at an item or a rare character or something. Um, and that's really what goes gets you to cough up the money. Um, at the moment, they're giving you one free draw a day as well. And you can buy with those loot boxes with crystals, which are in-game currency, uh-huh. which they give you all the time. You can complete a quest with your AP, get 50 crystals. 300 crystals gets you a draw. So uh-huh. very light on the cough up your money thing. I'm just a sucker yeah. for it. So yeah. I, I spent 40 quid already. It's uh, the, the, the pay-to-win aspect. It does have a pay-to-win aspect, but it's, it's very much like focused at the higher tier. Okay. Like um, for a lot of these games, like you'll find it's focused like right across the board for all players. Like once you start getting past the beginner bracket, it's like now you have to pay. Grand Blue is not really like that. It's like for the very, very, very highest echelon of players, like and like the the best SSRs are like you kind of have to pay for them a lot of the time, like because of the way that the rates and draw rates and that work, and when they pop and when they're released and all that time, and you have a better chance of them getting them when they're released first rather than any time after that. So you kind of have to pay to get them. And what's an SSR? Super, super, super rare. rare yeah. Yeah. Super, super rare. Okay. It goes like uh, normal, rare, super rare, super, super rare. Yeah, that's right. Um, rares, I think, are trash. Effectively, yeah. So uh, Super rares are all right. And then okay. super, super rares are the ones people want, usually. Um, yeah, I mean, I play it and I know I'm being... Manipulated a wee bit, yeah. But um, it's playing you. Yeah, I'm a glutton for punishment. Does it encourage um, passive gameplay rather than than active gameplay? I mean, it's, if you're talking about uh, the action points and stuff. Yeah, it's very much each quest is a few minutes at a time. Mm-hmm. So it's very much I'm on the bus, I'll do two quests. Sure. Uh, for me, it's usually I'm away to go to the toilet at work, spend 15 minutes in the cubicle playing Grand Blue, and then go back and be like, I hope nobody noticed I was gone for ages, or listens to this podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, it, it, it doesn't really encourage it so much as that's just the way you naturally tend to play it. Okay. Yeah, because you can just sit and play for ages um, and do a bunch of stuff. There's raids, which take time. So yeah. you can play raids with your friends uh-huh. and you go and you fight a large boss and you can invite other people. So lots of people jump in and fight this boss. And, yeah. Uh, there's things like the people who do the most damage there, the MVP, they get the, get the best loot. Second MVP, they get good loot. The rest of the people, I think, just get like a... Okay. A, you, you did it. I think I could probably compare that to my own experience with um, Clash of Clans. Yeah. Um, which is, yeah, it's very much the same. Like, yeah. I've, I've gotten to the point now, I mentioned it in the last podcast I was in, that's what I was I was trying out, because, you know, it seems like I had good reviews, and it's yeah. actually pretty good. Like, when you get to the uh, point where you you appreciate that it's a passive game, yeah, mm-hmm. and it's not just Age of Empires with time uh, restrictions on it, 
it, I'm, I'm having fun and I haven't spent a penny on that. No. Um, but yeah, it's the same kind of thing where you, you do take part in, in wars. Yeah. Um, with with other players, and um, you're rewarded based on how well you perform or um, who you are matched up against. Yeah. Um, so I think I think like the thing is, this is the just a change in the way people play games, and I think people who are long time gamers come at it from the wrong angle. You're maybe a, a bit of a you're on your back foot with it because you're like, well, I want to pay once and play this game for forty hours in one sitting. But these games aren't marketed towards the classic gamer. These are marketed towards people who mostly do all their interactions yeah. with the internet and stuff through their phone. Yeah. So they do, they check yeah. Facebook for five minutes, then they move on. They do this for five minutes. You're competing with so so much time that people have to... Uh, people have their time put out across so many different things, and you're competing with all this other stuff, yeah. like work and all that, that you have to then be like, no, no, just do a little bit and then go yeah. away. Because you're not going to mm-hmm. sit with your phone yeah, if yeah. you're at home in front of like a big TV and your PlayStation 4 and stuff. Yeah. I mean, like some, some people might, or some people will do it at the same time. Yeah. But uh, if you've got the choice, you're presumably going to choose something that's, that's much more engaging. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think Granblue is a great uh, window for people who are classic gamers because it's got the the sort of the pedigree of the people who worked on it I, that's why I liked it the yeah. art and the music and stuff yeah well, I mean if you've, if you've well got presented. like previous experience like yeah. enjoying that person's work yeah. um, or stuff that they produced then it's, mm-hmm. it's another thing that, that a lot of very play. popular Japanese voice actors and all that associated with it as well it's right. so like when they release new characters they'll specifically say this voice actor voices them right. so that's the attraction for anime fans and that kind of thing as well yeah, yeah. Um, Nintendo are also not um unaware of this Fire, Fire Emblem Heroes just came out and that's basically Scully's Granblue. been playing that and it sounds yeah. pretty fun that's the thing though I've chosen Granblue is my vice now yeah. I probably wouldn't try Clash of Clans is it Clash of Clans or yeah. Clash of Kings or simply because my brand is Granblue it's like yes. cigarettes yeah. your brand is Clash of Kings or Clans and Scully's is Fire Emblem yeah. Yeah. but it's the same thing kinda so I wouldn't have time to do both. Yeah. Well, um, I think if Ash is back on next week, she's yeah. been playing uh, Fire Emblem as well. Yeah. So she can maybe speak a bit speak about a bit that. more about what that And is. then we can all fight and see which one's yeah. best. <laughs> you, you haven't got one, Dave. You don't play one. No, I, I, I'm, I'm off the fags. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was playing Super Kings for a while. No. <laughs> Clash of Super Kings. Clash of Super Kings. Uh, that's, that's cigarettes. It's not a, a slur for anyone that's listening oh, from the on. States. <laughs> um, I... I get some Mayfair or Lambert and Butler on the go. I got an SSR Lambert and Butler last night. <laughs> it was the... Uh, I don't know. What if was anybody it? was playing a Final Fantasy one, they could be Marlboro. Oh. Uh, Speaking of Resident <laughs> Evil 7... <laughs> yeah. That was a silk cut. <laughs> get out. I love these cigarette jokes. Um, <laughs> it was lit. <laughs> Fuck. So you guys have both been playing RE7? Yeah, on a lighter note. On a lighter note. On, yeah. Have you got so, something that's No, I haven't for been playing health. it. I have haven't been not? playing no. no. I've only been playing it. Only Dave has played the new Resident Evil. Resident Evil game. Uh, yeah, Resident Evil 7. It's, it's damn good. Um, it's, it's the closest that Resident Evil has felt to the original... I was about to say 3, but Code Veronica is a kind of uh, original Resident Evil game as well. It's kind of the interim one between 3 and 4. Yeah. Um, it's the closest it's felt to that and probably about 10-15 years. Uh, the closest before that would have been probably Revelations for me, which was an RE4 third-person shooter-style game, but it was a lot slower-paced and the environments were mostly atmospheric. There were puzzles and all that kind of thing in it, which haven't really been part of the series for a while now. Mm. But this one is... 
is a lot a lot lot slower paced and it's much more about puzzles. Um you are in a mansion, um and you're being chased by a psycho family. Um the bakers. The bakers, um, who want to welcome you to their family, son. It's quite a turn for the series because everybody was expecting seven to be it's gonna be more RE six, it's gonna be an even bigger global bioterrorism thing. Um but it's not that at all. It's completely scaled back. It is still within the Resident Evil universe. There's a lot of we references here and there to stuff that has happened in the previous games. But it's it's been completely pulled back. Um and it's a lot more comparable. Probably I'd probably say it feels most like Resident Evil One. Um I don't know if that's because it is in a mansion. Right. Uh, I mean obviously that does help, but um there's a lot of tracking between rooms, trying to conserve ammo because the enemies in this game are actually quite powerful and will take quite a few hits, mm-hmm. much like the original zombies. Uh, they can take between five and seven hits out of a handgun or right. a Beretta. Um, and this one you got a Glock, which is basically the same thing. Um, I'm sure Johnny will chew me out for that one because they're not the same gun. Um, but like, um, you're encouraged to conserve ammo, you only get so many shotgun rounds. Pistol rounds you get more of, but like the, like, the enemies kind of chew up pistol rounds. They're pretty pretty absorbent and sure. they, they do actually avoid and block shots now so you've got to be even more careful than that they're not just regular fodder like zombies were so you've got ammo, con- ammo conservation uh, backtracking a lot like trying to look for the next part of a puzzle um, using keys to progressively open parts of the mansion um, you've also got Jack uh, Baker and um, later in the game there's also Marguerite um, who will track you around uh, the respective areas of the game uh, like Nemesis would, uh, right. or Mr. X if you played um, RE2. Kind of um, similar to uh, Alien Isolation type thing as well. Yeah, um, they're, a, they're a bit more intelligent than Nemesis were. Um, like Nemesis obviously will only appear at certain parts of the game, whereas um, Jack and Marguerite can... They have rooms they will patrol, but they're not going in any particular pattern. Like They will just go wherever they feel, um, and they will chase you like, through other rooms as well. Like, That's Nem- creepy. Yeah, um, so... But, like... A lot of people have tried to compare this game to Outlast or Amnesia or something like that, but it doesn't really play play those games at all. Like those are like you have to run away all the time right. or hide a lot. That is a small part of this game. Um, initially, you are encouraged to hide and run away from Jack because he's powerful, he's imposing, he has a shovel that he can deck you with, and you don't really have any weapons for a while. Okay. But once you start getting weapons, it begins to feel a bit more like a standard Resident Evil game, um, and the feeling of like kind of the Outlast and Amnesia games are kind of a weird sort of dark, disturbing horror, whereas this is not that at all. It presents itself like it is that, but it feels more like Evil Dead and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 um, for a couple of reasons. So uh, um, Jack, in particular, initially is quite imposing, but like he's got some weird di- dialogue that's quite funny. Um, like It feels a lot like a 70s or 80s kind of schlock horror film. Right. It's got a really interesting feeling. It's much more like the original Resident Evils than people give it credit for. Um, or people would like to give it credit for. So, I'd like to ask about the doors. That sounds like a weird question, but I read somewhere somebody mentioned that the Resident Evil 7 does doors well. <laughs> what did they mean by that? Doors. Um, I think I saw that headline as well. Yeah, and so they sort of alluded to it being like, like you said, um, obviously in the early Resident Evil games, a door was a thing that took time to go through and there was suspense and stuff. Um, there's not loading screens between doors, is there? No. Uh, what what doors work like, it's actually quite cool the way they've done it. You can open doors slightly, or you can open them completely, and you can close them behind you as well. Doors, like, they do, they do shut 
eventually behind them if it's specific types of doors, like mm. doors that go between specific areas of the game, they will shut well, presumably just to cut off loading times. Um, but like doors within buildings and all that kind of thing, especially when you're running away from uh, Jack and Marguerite, right. um, you're encouraged to kind of peek into rooms a bit and make sure that you can see what's in there before actually going in. Um, Marguerite's kind of giveaway is she carries a lantern with her. Oh, so you can see it like flickering. So you can the see walls. it flickering, and because of the lightning engine in the game is real time, um, you can tell when she's coming in a room by peeking around the door. Um, if you can see the flickering light, you can just shut it right behind you, so she never sees you. So in that inst- in that way, like those are done really well. Um, I don't know if that's what they meant though. Possibly, um, it sounds like it would create a lot of tension. It does, yeah. Um, like the the game can be like like. There's only certain parts of the game where they do chase you. Like it's not all the time um, without giving too much away. Um, but with those parts of the game, it does have a different feel to it. Whereas like in the original Resident Evils, like you're, you're kind of free to explore the mansion. There will be enemies, but you know they're not going to chase you. Whereas with Jack and Marguerite, um, they could be anywhere. Um, and you have to keep an ear out for them because you can hear them coming as well as seeing them coming. Um, so you're always on your toes. Um and on top of that, you, there's also enemies as well. Um, so you're encouraged to kind of keep an awareness of your surroundings, avoid them, but also be aware of the other enemies that are around. So it, it, it creates quite a quite an interesting tension. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a it's a really interesting feeling game. It's um, I, I was not aware that Capcom had this in them because um, obviously the last couple of Resident Evil games have just been shoot the boys, um, run away for the boys, um, quick time events. And that was fine until Resident Evil 6, where it kind of outstripped its logical conclusion. Um, but now they've shown that they can do something really interesting that feels like something totally new for the series, but also feels welcoming to old fans. Okay. Um, so it's it's really impressive. Like It's definitely potential game of the year material. And uh, would you play it with the VR headset? Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> it looks terrifying in VR, apparently. So. I've, yeah, I've watched the Game Grumps playing uh, like the opening yeah. section, and they, they had, uh, I think it was Aaron that was using it, and he had to stop playing with the VR headset because he was just winding himself up. Huh. Um, I, I can only imagine that with the VR headset and headphones, that game is going to be absolutely terrible. You've got to get your VR candle. Have you seen this? 4D candle, yeah. Oh, for the smell. Yeah, Yeah. smell of blood, isn't it? Blood and rotten wood. Which actually um, reminds me of uh, Snatcher back in the day. When Hideo Kojima made Snatcher, he wanted to have floppy disks that when they heated up, they smelled of blood. Oh my god. That's so weird. Yeah. So they'd be in the drive and the drive would spin it up. The the drive would heat up. Yeah. The floppy disk would heat up. And start to produce the smell of blood while you're playing Snatcher. So bizarre. Um, But he he is a savant though. I mean, he's kind of crazy when it comes to these... I think they told him no. I don't know if he actually did it. I think it was a sort of a case of, at that time, there were still people who would tell him to not do things. Yeah. yeah. Who, who knows what we've unleashed now? We'll get, like, uh, Death Stranding's going to smell of whale blubber or something. Well, uh, he did come out and say that it's not going to be survival horror. Oh, did he? Death Stranding, yeah. It's, it's yeah. not a horror game. So, okay. and, and but just as another aside, there were photos uh, last week that circulated of his new headquarters. Oh, yeah, they looked amazing. Yeah, they looked very cool. Yeah. But is it a case of, um, what was the company that, uh, is it John Romero made after leaving id? Um, oh, yeah. They basically, he left, um, after uh, some argument with, like, Cormac or whoever, went and made his own game. He was going to make Daikatana, wasn't it? Daikatana, yeah. They spent loads of money on this office at the top of a, a skyscraper or something. Huge office, cinema. Oh. Um, looked amazing. 
big marble entranceway with their logo on it and stuff. Spent loads of money. Uh, didn't spend enough money maybe on Daikatana or whatever. Um, and it was costing them hundreds of thousands a week to stay in this office when they hadn't even made one game. Yeah. This doesn't look like that, but it does look really fancy. So you're yeah. wondering how much money is he spending on his office at the moment? Uh, how much money is Sony spending on yeah. his office, I think, is the real question. Um, I think a large part of it is cultivating um, yeah. a good working environment. Yeah. I mean, you look at sort of like... It, that's well and good, but he is historically bad with money. Yeah. So, yeah. I, but they looked so cool, like the bar and stuff. And it did look like there was a big, huge work, like working space. Yeah. Um, it, uh, lots, lots of uh, like bright light as well. Yeah. Like lots of natural sunlight. So. Um, I think not a lot of... It seemed a shame because obviously all of the posters are Death Stranding posters and stuff. Mm. Um, and you just remember, like, it just reminds you that his whole like, so previous a, work is not available to it's him. It's a clean start yeah. for him. Though. Yeah. It's, uh... He can't, but he's not even, like, he can't even celebrate the work that he's done and have posters of it because it's just not. I mean, I think I we've, spoke, we've spoken about it before, yeah. I mean, would you really want to, given yeah. the, the attachments he's got to it now and yeah. the, the memories he'd have to. Um, but it is, it is, it is definitely a, a clean break. It's a, it's bittersweet, maybe. Maybe, yeah. I, yeah. I do have one more question about RE7. What's that? Um, how do you feel about the DLC? And can you tell me a little bit more about it if you, you know much about it? Uh, I do know a bit about the DLC. Um, that I'm not gonna, obviously I'm not gonna spoil anything about the game or what, what it means, but the DLC as it stands doesn't spoil anything about the progression of the actual main game because it's set aside from it. It's actually set before the game, mostly. Right. Um, so what it is, is um, it's uh, some of the progression of the game is based on tapes, videotapes that you watch, which is recordings, or which are recordings, sorry, of um, other people that have been in the house. Um, and these are extra videotapes called band footage um, of different people's experiences in the house. And they're set out like different we mini games kind of so there's one where um you're in a bedroom that you have to escape because marguerite is keeping an eye on you uh there's another where you're in a basement which is kind of like mercenaries mode but it's more it, it's more like horde mode because there's constant waves of enemies right okay um and then there's another couple which are like very heavily story based so there's no gameplay but it's mostly just fleshing out a specific part of the story which i won't get into because it's a huge spoiler um and then there's another DLC coming out down the road, which is um, free, which I won't tell you the name of because the name itself is a spoiler. Okay. And it's also directly tied in with another huge plot point. But that's going to be free. Um, the paid DLCs, I'm not sure how I feel about them. I think they're quite expensive. 25 quid it is uh, for an extra eight episodes, um, which I feel is a bit too much. I'd probably say 20 is my cutoff point. I mean, what's the kind of gameplay time on one episode? So the the one the bedroom one is it's built like an escape room, right? So it's the okay. same puzzles, and the puzzles don't change any time you play it. So you play through that once, probably take about an hour. Yeah, and then after that, you know exactly what you're doing. That's maybe not too bad. Um, the horde mode one is obviously it depends on how you play it, but um, there's there's no real story content to that one. It's it's just you do this. Yeah, uh, the, the story is kind of told to you in the opening cutscene, and then you play Hordebold. Yeah, um, it's a different gameplay experience using the same environment and engine. Yeah, it's, it's a very clever way of doing it. Like, it's different types of gameplay like, aside from the regular game. But I don't, like, I feel like there maybe could have been a bit more fleshing out there. Like, obviously, I know there's only so much they can do 
with short DLC episodes, so they can't maybe realise it to its full potential completely. Um, but I just feel like maybe could have been a little bit longer, could have been a wee bit more there. Like maybe some of the puzzles could change up a bit every time you play it. Sure. Maybe that's asking a bit much, but um, I don't know. Um, I think like they're a great idea, and I think like it's commendable that it's something like that rather than extra weapons or extra skins or something like that. Yeah, fancy, which is fancy hats. Common for Capcom in the past, um, and it's it's actually something that's. Uh, an extra kind of realisation of this game engine they've made which is it's like an incredible game engine for this for Resident Evil 7 and that they're trying to do slightly different things with that so that's really clever but I just think it's maybe a little bit overpriced okay so um, I've been playing Yakuza 0 uh, yeah it looks really good I picked it up last week so I've only really played it for maybe 4 or 5 hours mm-hmm. um, it's a lot of fun it's, it's the first Yakuza game I've actually played sorry Johnny um, I do have like Yakuza 2 to Four, but there's there's reasons I haven't played them, which I won't go into. Um, Yakuza Zero for me, it's felt like a really great point to start at because mm-hmm. it's a it's a prequel to the series. Mm. It's yeah. uh, set in uh, 1988 in a fictional recreation of uh, Kabukicho in Tokyo uh, called Kamurocho, I think. We walked through there. Yeah, it's uh, there's there's a lot of uh, pachinko machines there. It's and hostess bars. They got offered sex or crested. So. Did he? Yeah. <laughs> Massage. It's a uh, sex. It's it's a pretty dodgy area. Yeah. Um, I mean, as far as like dodgy areas in Japan go, like Japan's pretty tame for the most part, anyway. Yeah. Um, but it's it's commonly associated with organized crime and specific, uh, specifically the yakuza families, uh, which are like the Japanese mafia. Yeah. And uh, this game is just a, it's a fictional um, RPG action adventure type thing, uh, following one of these. Uh, young and upcoming Yakuza members um, Kiryu Kiryu Kazuma um, and it's been a lot of fun so far it's uh, I mean the closest thing I can associate it with is Shemu hmm. because it's it's created this um, contained uh, environment like a, a city area mm-hmm. in which you there is a, a very clear storyline which you can follow but additionally there are so many extra things that you can do and explore mm-hmm. and collect and play, and it's like a grown-up uh, story. Like it's uh, yeah. you know there's there's fight mechanics as well, which is uh, something else that Shenmue had, and obviously both uh, produced by Sega. So it's kind of like they they took Shenmue and they uh, used that archetype to create a, a new game. But it's it's been so much fun, and I, I really regret having waited so long to get into the series. Some of the missions look crazy. Some of them look really funny, actually. I'd, I'd be well off for playing that at some point. It's a good time. I think uh, they're also remaking the first one. Yeah, that's right. Right. So you'll yes. now be able to go on to that one. So it's a good time to start. It really is a good time playing yeah. Yakuza. Um, I haven't played the first few, so I'm looking forward to that. I've played three and four, um, and I've got that. There was like a zombie one. Yeah. Haven't played it yet. Dead Souls, I think it's called. Is it not Yakuza the Apocalypse or something? Dead, it's, it's Dead, Dead Souls. Yeah, Dead Yakuza, Souls. Oh, Yakuza okay. f- Dead Souls or something. I haven't played it, but it looks ridiculous. The thing is, like Yakuza is a game that hasn't really broken out like into the West. No. Yeah, like it's they they come out here. Yeah, nobody talks about them. But these are in Japan. These are big games. Yeah, like these are like the they're like. Over here, it's competing with like Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, and yeah. people are going to look at it and be like, "It's not the same." But I think it, it is of that caliber, and like they're um, 
amazingly well-told stories. Mm. Yakuza 4 has a great story. Mm. And it's stuff like, if you like sort of like crime um, stories and stuff about, like, I love stories about the Yakuza. Yeah. They're just, it's just so interesting. Just yeah. the way it works. Um, I think they, they, they're really good at creating characters. Yeah. They're really good at, like, telling stories behind characters and creating these, like, lovable, hateable, um, like, rogues. Yeah. You know, it's like people who, I mean, the Yakuza are typically outcasts of yeah. society. They are not um, welcomed in a lot of places. So to see these people and their their lives or their struggles, plus, you know, the, the things that they do that, that make them these outcasts. Yeah. It's just such a colourful range of char- characters in this this uh, series. When did Yakuza 4 come out? Was it before or after Grand Theft Auto 5? I think it was 2010, Yakuza 4 came out. Um, that rings a bell. It's a PlayStation 3 game. So. It would have been before it, in Japan at least. Yeah. Because one of the amazing things about Grand Theft Auto 5 is the way that they have the story told over three characters. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yakuza 4 does the same thing as well. Maybe yeah. not to the, uh, as good effect. It's just not implemented as well. It's implemented more traditionally. Mm. So it's not... But that way where they explore the interaction of these characters and the way it all comes together for this one storyline and you piece it all together, it's an amazing storytelling vehicle. They're all really different characters, right? Yeah, so you've got your policeman who's a corrupt cop kind of, but he's not... He's more like a loose cannon, Mm -hmm. but he does things like he shouldn't be doing. I think he's a wee bit corrupt. I can't remember. You've got your uh, loan shark who's a good guy. He's like a loan shark who only loans to specific people and it's a zero-interest loan. Mm. Um, that kind of thing. And he, he goes, here, just pay it back when you can. Um, I think he's like ex-Yakuza. Um, and he, you've got your uh, Yakuza goon who has been in prison for mm. decades because um, he took the hit for somebody else or something. Or yeah. he, he basically was told... You're, you have to go to prison for us. Yeah. Or you have to do this hit and go to prison for us. That's your job. And he did it because he's a loyal Yakuza, but he's broken out for some reason. I really can't remember actually a lot about it now that I think about it. Is it not to, uh, just, just to like prove who actually. Oh, maybe, yeah. I, I think it's to prove his innocence. Um, because, uh, whoever's in charge now was the one who should be. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, the one he took the fall for. And it all, it, they all have different, they all come at it from different reasons that they're here now yeah but they all end up trying to do this one thing um there's just so much behind each character and their motivations i haven't played zero but i'm assuming it's gonna be more of the same like uh, i'm looking forward to playing that and the remake of one yakuza kiwami i think it's called is that yeah. what the remake's called i think it's called yeah. like is what does that mean like yakuza special or something or yeah. ultimate or something like that i don't know um yeah, but definitely if you have if you've heard of it but never played it it's the kind of thing where you will. You'll be kicking yourself if you do actually go back and play it because they're incredible games. Yeah, I've been on a big kick recently for uh, like Japanese media. I got a bunch of uh, Kira Kurosawa films for Christmas. Yeah, I've been watching through those, like the Yojimbo films and stuff. Yeah. And uh, there's, uh, I just, uh, I love the way they um, they characterize samurai and yakuza and these yeah. rogue characters that are so alien to a Western audience. Like, Fun thing about Kurosawa. Did you know that Neo? The new game yes. is based on a Kurosawa script. I did not. Oh. They were going to make a um, Kurosawa's son was going to make a film that tied into it. Cool, but um, that was back when so it was this. A... This was going to be like supernatural and dealing with demons and stuff. And... Yeah, um, it was. They were going to make it back in two thousand five, but the game rebooted so many times. It's now not kind of the same, but it's still based on that original. Script. That'd be interesting. So. Yeah, um, it's another one that I'm keeping an eye on because it's very it looks very Dark yeah. Souls like. Yeah. Kurosawa has some great crime films as well mm-hmm. yeah. everyone talks about his samurai films yeah. but you never hear people talk about um, one that's uh, Drunken Angel 
is about uh, a Yakuza thug who won't admit he's too hard man to admit that he's got an alcohol problem and he's dying because of his alcohol addiction mm, no and then there's a local GP who sees him and is like trying to save his life even though he knows that this guy is a, a thug he's a GP so you know he's a doctor so he's yeah. there being like you have to stop drinking you have to do this and um, they're button heads because he's he's a hard man he won't take he won't sit down mm. and do stuff and uh, it's about him sort of coming to terms with being with dying and needing to actually think about this stuff uh, and then there's the bad sleep well which is more of a it's not really a crime film it's it's about corruption in big companies and this guy who's trying to seek revenge that's an amazing film um but if you're into yakuza and akira kurosawa drunken angels are a great one cool uh, i'll definitely check it out yeah. uh not that i don't love his samurai films no, no, they I, are amazing. There's I, I a reason think, why everyone talks about them. Yeah, but. he's just a very good storyteller. And yeah. I think um, I'm starting with the samurai stuff. I'm familiar with his samurai films. Yeah, uh, and obviously we went and saw uh, Ran, Ran in the cinema, cinema yeah. recently. Um, the most depressing film I've ever seen in my life. It's, uh, it's a Shakespearean tragedy. Yeah, it so. is. Yeah, it's uh, a really good film though. And, um, it's, it was excellent. It was just my God, it was such a downer. You, you step out of there and you're like, wow, my problems are insignificant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I'll definitely check those out. So I'm playing anything else, or? No, I've been, I've been playing the Japanese copy of Resident Evil 1 for the PS1, but other than that, like, everybody knows what Resident Evil 1 plays like. Mm. So Yeah. Still playing Overwatch. Pretty much all the time. Cool. Constant. Uh, we can maybe put your gamer tag up if you want in, the, in one of the posts, see if anyone else plays. or Yeah. Um, you will need to compete for a spot in my friends list after Destiny, <laughs> which will fill up your friends list so much. I need to go through and clear out Destiny friends. Yeah. Like people who aren't even people I speak to. Like there's just people who have added to play Destiny with them and I don't know who they are. And like you'll just see them on and you'll be like, Do you wanna do a thing? And they're like, Oh yeah, sure. And then you'll be talking to them like, So who are you? I made a friend in Dark Souls. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um the guy added me on Steam. I like because I think you can see like who you've played with or who who you recently interacted with in games. And uh he was like do you need help with this boss? And I was like, oh yeah, that'd be cool. So like, he ended, we ended up just like crossing over in each other's worlds, like yeah. for the rest of the evening, and, like doing loads of runs together. It's first time that's happened to me because Dark Souls is typically a game where you don't have any conversation, yeah, uh, or like real interactions yeah. with uh, the people you're playing with, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just really, really that's cool. kind of how it happens in Destiny because there is no built-in um, group finder in Destiny. You have to go outside of the game to do it. So you'll be, you'll find some people to play a, a raid with, and at the end you'll be like. So I'm just going to add a bunch of you guys, and you're like, yeah, sure. And then you'll have them there, and you'll see that they're playing stuff, so you can kind of go, well, that person's playing this thing that I need to do. You're just like, can I do that with you? Mm. It's not a friendship thing. It's more just a, a weird sort of, Yeah, it's um, strange. So cool. I'll clear them out, and if anyone wants to play Overwatch, me, I'm always playing that. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably put up some details as well. Cool. Should we end it there, then? Yeah, yeah sure. Good. Cool. Um, Thanks for... Uh... Oh no! no uh, we have to have a. Oh. We almost forgot the poorly <laughs> remembered game quote. Oh my god! <laughs> poorly remembered, very poorly remembered. Because yeah. I totally forgot. Dave, do you want to take this one? Yeah, sure. So it's. I just had to escape. I just had to be free. I didn't even know I had a destiny. It's from Destiny. It is from Destiny. It's not from Destiny. No, it's not from Destiny. <laughs> <laughs> it's from. I do know what this one's from though. Yeah, I know what it's yeah. from. But if you know, get in touch. You can tweet us. You can mail us. There's a contact form on the website azarin.com, and uh, just let us know. Any way you can, yeah. Can we'll even read your name. Post out. it to us on a postcard if you like. Don't send it to a postcard. You're not getting our address. Oh. <laughs> PO box, video games. Care us. of 
uh, Zarin <laughs> video games and then Bram. Right, let's finish up there. Cool. Okay. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Ta-ta. Bye. Bye-bye. I don't even like video games.